0: Mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Hey there, mamas. I'm sure you've heard me say so many times on this podcast how grateful I am to have Kate and September, two titans of mothering in my life. And there are other faithful women just a bit further on the journey who helped to kind of pull me along too. But to be honest, there've been seasons in my life where in real life mentors just weren't always an option. Fortunately, I've never been without Titus Two Examples and the wisdom of other trusted women in my life, because I am always surrounded by really good books. And these books give me voices of encouragement, discipleship, practical help, and have really helped me on the page, helped me shape my day-to-day faithfulness to my husband, my children, my ministry commitments, and even my walk with the Lord, pretty much every area of my life. And so that's what we're gonna be chatting about today. In fact, we have another voice on the show with us, my friend, my dear friend, Jennifer Pepito, who has written a book all about how books can really bolster us in our mothering and in our walk with the Lord. So
1: Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to get to speak with all three of you. You're definitely heroes of mine as well. Well, Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family and your ministry for those who are listening who maybe are not as familiar with all of that? For sure, I am the mother of seven children. They are ages 29 to 13. And we live in the country on a couple acres. We love being outside as a family. And then 6 years ago I started The Peaceful Press, which is a company committed to helping families connect through curriculum. So it's, you know, homeschooling has been this great love of mine. I've been doing it for over 25 years now, and it's been and a special joy to get to mentor other families who are kind of getting started with our preschool and early elementary resources. But
0: I would imagine for even the mom who maybe doesn't homeschool, your resources and just your, your whole philosophy of gathering great books in your home, uh, surrounding yourself and your children with great stories. I imagine that's a message really for every mom, right?
1: For sure. You know, I think that the books that we've read a lot as a family, some of them at night, some of them in the morning, some of them just on Audible on long car trips have really shaped us as a family. They've given us so much hope and courage and really created a worldview for us that gave us inspiration to keep going even when life is hard.
0: And as we say a lot here on the podcast, as a mom, you kind of set the tone So can you share just a little bit about how books have in particular really helped you and have kind of set the course of your life, specifically your motherhood, so that you can live out or walk out that example in front of your kids and and maybe help bolster their reading life?
1: Yeah, for sure. One of the books that I recently read actually was called A Time for Remembering by Patricia Cornwell, and it's about the life of Ruth Bell Graham. And my book, Mothering by the Book, is all about how all the books I've read a lot to my children have helped me overcome fear. But as far as a recent one, this book, it was about Ruth Bell Graham, and I'm going through a season where my husband's away a few nights a week. And just reading her life and reading about how she created such an atmosphere of joy for her family and how she handled the difficulties of single parenting gave me so much courage in that season. So, you know, I'm constantly I'm a big reader. I I'm I have probably 20 books on my nightstand actually and no lie. So, it's it's just a constant for me to be encouraging myself through stories because we we do have I do have a great community of women. I have mom and a, and sisters, people who are speaking into my life, but I think sometimes our lives and our own problems are so unique to us. But there's always somebody in literature who can speak into that, who can bring courage and encouragement for the journey.
0: Mm -hmm. Some universal themes of motherhood that we can see in literature that really apply to all of us. I think sometimes we can downplay the importance of fiction in our lives. I was actually just having a conversation with a couple um, not too long ago, and the gentleman kind of labeled fiction as extra, um, and he just didn't have time for extra in his life. Can you speak to what specifically fiction has meant to you in your life, maybe in your motherhood and how it has helped shape you?
1: Yeah. Extra. I mean, how <laughs> how appalling. I'm so, I'm, I'm so <laughs> indignant, uh, you know, because some of the books like that really shaped my mothering, you know, in Mothering by the Book, I talk about how Charlotte's Web really gave me this beautiful lesson on speaking life to my children. It's so easy as mothers to get wrapped up in the negative behaviors we see in our kids and then start speaking these harsh words out into the atmosphere. But in Charlotte's Web, you see how Charlotte starts speaking life to Wilbur and he lives up to her expectations. She doesn't say what she sees. You know, What she saw was a runty little pig who didn't know anything, but she didn't say that. She called him radiant and terrific and some pig, and he started acting like a radiant, terrific little pig, and that changed his destiny. And so I think that, you know, we can, if we read, you know, every time I read a book to my children, I am alert for the lessons in those books for myself and for them, because there is so much to teach us from story. Even just, you know, I was talking to my son about the book. He's listening to The Two Towers right now, and we were talking about a hard time that we're going through as a family, and just, you know, he brought in the lessons from that book of how Sam and Frodo keep moving through an evil world to get that ring to mortar to save civilization and how, you know, sometimes the circumstances around us are hard. They are difficult. They are dark. But when we can look at stories and see inspiration, whether it's fiction or biography, and see how other characters in the world, in story, have shown um, that tenacity, that grit, to keep doing the right thing. It can empower us as mothers to keep doing the right thing, even when, you know, even when we do have difficulties that we're facing as a family.
0: Yeah, I think the difference between the facts on the page in a nonfiction and the story or the narrative of a fiction, they can both be teaching the same thing. But in fiction, we actually get to see that walked out, what it looks like in in real time, in a real person's life, even if it's a fictional person. And then I think Fiction lends itself to being able to take things back to the gospel because we have to remember, you know, so much, especially in the New Testament, so much of the New Testament is actually narratively written. It is story and Jesus taught in story. So like you gave the example of Charlotte's Web and how Charlotte called out these character qualities in in Wilbur. But isn't that what God does all throughout scripture? He calls people names that they weren't until, you know, his transforming work happened. You know, he called Gideon a mighty warrior before he ever fought one single battle. And he called David a a king when he was still just a little boy. God is constantly calling out the person we are becoming, not the person we are right now. And I think that that is, you know, reading Charlotte's Web with your kids or even to yourself is just a great tool to be able to point back to some really deep truths, even in Scripture.
1: Yeah, such a profound lesson for us as mothers. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, how do we make time for our own personal reading as mothers in the busyness of the day? Do you have any quick tips for us?
1: You know, I think partly it's is prioritizing. It's so much easier sometimes to scroll our phones than to read a book. I am just as guilty as anybody of sitting down in the few minutes I have to sit down during the day and picking up my phone instead of a book. But I do try to keep Books in baskets by our chairs. You know, we have a very strong routine in our family of reading out loud in the morning and the evening. And then I do every night, it's my, you know, my comfort really to go to sleep. I have no phones in bed rule. And so every night I read for a few minutes before I go to sleep. And I get through three to four books a month. Some of them I might have started earlier and and it took me that long. You know, it took me a while to finish them. But if you go to my Instagram, there's Every month I post what I finished that month, and that's been just so neat to track all the information that we're taking in, all the personal growth that happens because of these stories.
0: September, I have a question for you in a second, but I want to go back to something that um, Jennifer just said. You know, she talked about reading aloud to her kids. And I think sometimes as moms, especially moms of older kids who are reading you know, novels or chapter books allowed to our kids. We don't often count those as our own personal reading, but we are taking in those words just as much as our kids do. So about two years ago, I started counting all those books that I was reading with my kids as books that I'm reading for myself. Obviously, I read other things too, but I think we can easily, you know, set those those kid books into another category. But God can use the words of a kid's story um, in the sanctification of ourselves. September, you have shared on the podcast that you are trying to restart or jumpstart your reading life again. Do you have any tips that have been helping you to continue to turn pages? Well, I feel like we have to get creative, you know, depending on what season we're in. So I love a hardcover book. I own so many books, but I've learned right now I have to do audiobooks. So I just cannot do reading because I don't have the capacity, even if I want to prioritize. So I'm doing audiobooks, but I'm also doing a lot of study guides with my kids when it comes to reading the books that I'm reading with them so that I'm like learning more. So if, even if I'm not getting my own reading done, I'm doing study guides that even if I can't read my kids' own books with them, I'm printing the study guides and we're rehashing the questions. And that has been super helpful for me too. So it, it just helps me take it in and really kind of press in on the lessons that we can apply to our life as moms.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned audiobooks because I think sometimes we need permission to count those. Like, you know, September has given you all permission, mamas. If you need to be told, audiobooks count too. I know when my kids listen to audiobooks, I count those as books they're reading for their year. So certainly I'm going to turn around and do the same for myself. I guess for me, just some really quick tip if you're a busy mom and you're looking for ways to continue some momentum on your reading life. And like September said, there are seasons. I know that there are seasons, there have been seasons in my mothering where I couldn't turn as many pages as I had wanted to. But I think the three things that have been universally helpful, no matter what season I'm in for me, has been to, one, always have a book on me. So that means I buy a purse that is big enough to hold at least one book. If it can't hold a book, I'm not buying it because I want to have that book at the ready for when I'm, you know, sitting in the parking lot waiting for my kid to get finished with basketball practice or, you know, church hasn't started yet, but everybody's sitting down and I have like a couple of minutes to turn a few pages, whatever it is. I always have a book ready. And then I always have a book in mind to start next so that I'm not wasting time between titles trying to think of the next book. I have a running list. Actually, I keep it in an app of the books that I want to be reading next, my to-be-read pile, so that as soon as I finish a book, I know exactly what book I'm going into next. And then I think another tip is to just have multiple books going on at the same time, not the same kind of book. I can't be reading two fiction books at one time or 2 nonfiction's. but if I have like a memoir, a nonfiction and a fiction going, I can keep them separate in my mind. And then maybe I'm not in the mood to read a a really heavy nonfiction book right now, but I want to read something I can easily grab for my fiction book. So I never stop reading, but I can always read within my mood at the
1: moment when I have multiple books going on. Yeah, this is me too, Jamie. Of the 20 books on my nightstand, some of them are books that I'm reading to research my next book. Some of them are nonfiction, maybe spiritual growth books, and then others are nonfiction, maybe business or some other kind of personal growth. So it is true that, you know, and I think it's actually Charlotte Mason, I think, advocated for that kind of varied reading, even for moms that we, you know, sometimes we're going to feel like just a easy novel that we can breeze through. Sometimes we're going to want something more meaty, like a biography or or some kind of a spiritual text. So giving ourselves permission to put a book aside if we're not engaged with it at the moment and read something easier, that's fine too.
0: Well, and to follow up with that, sometimes we have to actually set that aside indefinitely. You know, we have to be willing to DNF, did not finish a book and move on to something else. Because I don't know about you girls, but sometimes I can feel the guilt of putting a book aside. Like I started it, I'm already 50 pages in, I don't wanna be a quitter. But then I drag my feet and I never want to read that book. So I never actually sit down to read. But if I were to just put that book aside and say, nope, I'm not going to finish it and move on to something that actually does spark joy and, you know, does compel me to read, I actually end up reading a whole lot more when I'm reading something I enjoy. I got a text message from my 17-year-old last night. It was just two simple words. Made it. You see... He was driving to youth group, and and there was a little dusting of snow on the roads. And although the winds weren't too bad, he knew that I'm always nervous for him when he drives on winter streets. I didn't ask him to text me, mind you, but he just knew that my mama heart would appreciate the quick message letting me know that he and his younger brother had made it to youth group safely. And he was right. But not only was that message declaring he was physically safe, It was also a reminder to me that he was emotionally and spiritually safe. Why? Because he sent the text from a gab phone. A cell phone that looks and feels like the smartphone that all of his friends have, but that isn't connected to the internet in any way. Whenever my son leaves the house, I can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that I can get a hold of him, but that the cyberbullies, predators, and shady back alleys of social media cannot. He can call text and take pictures, but that's about it. In fact, he can't even participate in a group text thread, and if you've ever seen what happens in the average teen text thread, you know what a gift a one-person-at-a-time text service can be in the life of a tween or teen. To learn more or to snag a Gab phone or watch for your tween or teen, head to gabwireless.com and use promo code MomToMom at checkout. That's gab G-A-B-B, wireless.com and use promo code M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M at checkout. What about reading aloud to your kids? You kind of lightly touched on that, Jennifer, but I'm wondering why is that important to you specifically to make time for reading to your kids? Maybe how do you make time for it? It's the
1: core of our school program. You know, everyone has a different way of doing school with their kids. But a while ago, you know, I have seven children and I didn't want to just try and copy school at home. I wanted to be able to get to the good stuff, which to me is the stories. I feel like my children, they remember the important things from stories a lot better than they remember things from a worksheet, for instance. And and even the more skill-based learning, like composition or punctuation or grammar, I feel like is learned better through reading beautiful words. So that is the core of what we do for our homeschool. We do, you know, they do some grammar, they do some composition. Right now they're taking some co-op classes, but most of what we do is reading out loud and talking about the books. Obviously Charlotte Mason has been a been a big inspiration in in the importance of reading. Also the Thomas Jefferson education is very much centered around reading great books and talking about them. There's a book called Hero Education. It's especially geared towards high school. And so I just feel like it's a way more efficient way to teach children, to teach them character, to teach them composition, to teach them history and worldview. Reading books is the, to me, like the all-encompassing way. And so it's a priority for us because it draws us together. It gives us a family, almost like a family vocabulary. You know, I think that connection is such an important part of being mature, being able to function in society. And so as we sit down together, we read the books together, looking at each other, we're talking together. It's building connections, building people skills. So it really is a big priority. And I, and I do it even with high school students. I will do that before I will have them do their independent work. And it's just become a part of our lifestyle. You know, I think for other families, like if you have an opposite way of doing school, if you're, if you're starting somewhere else, if you're starting with getting through the textbooks, then it's going to be more like, okay, let's put an audiobook on, on our way to karate or let's listen to, you know, one of my sons listens to audiobooks as he goes to sleep at night. So I think there are other ways to get in the stories into our kids. But I think if we don't do the stories, they're missing a lot of depth in their thinking because a lot of like our perspective on life our ability to relate to others our ability to see something through to the end or even our ability to see cause and effect comes from observation of other people you know it comes from learning from people in history people from stories and so if we eliminate that entirely and we have this very shallow education of just reading a question and writing the answer there's a lot of nuance, a lot of thinking and relating skills, I believe, are being missed by children who are missing out on the stories.
0: Mm-hmm. I think a good story really pours into your personhood. I know um, my youngest is reading a biography about Harriet Tubman right now, and I could recall all the facts about her life and kind of drill it into him. But that book is building in him an empathy that a black and white fact never could. And there have been multiple times over the last few days, he's come to me with little tears in his eyes and just cannot even imagine how anyone would want to treat someone that way and the courage that she had. And as the story progresses, you can see how excited he's becoming for her courage. And that's something that a fact can never do for a child. It really does take a personal story to touch into someone's personhood.
1: Right. And you know, Charlotte Mason said, it's not how much a child knows at the end of their education, it's how much they care. Mm-hmm. And I think that really is missing from a lot of graduates today is that they might know a lot of facts, but they haven't had this diverse range of stories to build that empathy, to build a sort of understanding for the way people think. And so they're very easily, in, in my opinion, a lot of young people today are very easily misled. They're very, their critical thinking is just not there as much because they haven't seen some of the cause and effect that you see when you read stories from history or you read how people, you know, if you've read about um, World War II or the Holocaust or, or the rise and fall of communism in Eastern Europe, then you, you would have all these clues to life that help you discern what's happening in the present. You know, it's like, I think George Santayana said, those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. And you you just don't get that from learning, oh, here's the facts of how many people fought in World War II. If you don't get the stories and how those instances impacted families individually and what people did to survive, you're not going to have the same perspective that leads to wisdom and discernment in understanding current events.
0: And obviously not every single listener of the show is a homeschool mom. We We realize that Probably a large majority of those who tune in do, but I think you can have a literary rich home regardless of what schooling choice um, God has for you and has set before you. So it, it really is a matter of setting a feast of great books in front of your kids and having them at the ready, always available and really encouraging our kids to make the time. And that really does start with us, for us to make the time for reading in our homes. Well, Jennifer, what about books that have really um, shaped your motherhood? I know that that's what your book, Mothering by the Book, really focuses on. I wonder if there are any books that have really warranted some rereads in your life. These are the books that I'm thinking of that like if a new mom or a young mom were to come to you and say, you know, Jennifer, what are your favorite books that will will help me and steer the course of my motherhood? What are the titles you would give her?
1: You know, probably the first series that I would mention is the Little House on the Prairie series. Even though it's very removed from us, it's over 100 years ago that the events happened. There are so many commonalities with moms today. I mean, moms today deal with fears, just like the mom in that story did. Uh, moms today deal with, you know, transitions, just like the mom in that story did. And so watching, observing the way she handled herself during these situations And it wasn't always good. And you can see that in the stories, you know, so people, sometimes people today are offended by some of her attitudes because her attitudes were archaic in a way, or, you know, she, she had some fears that were in our view today, unfounded and prejudiced. But we, as moms also have fears, you know, depending on what the circumstance and where you, where you view life from, we also have fears. And so seeing how she dealt with her fears, how she Tried to be joyful even in the midst of hard circumstances, and even just her dedication and care for her family. I think there's so much hope in those stories. It's a narrative where a family continues to push through the hard circumstance, and at the end of the book, they always sing. You know, there's always some some joy or a glimmer of hope that you are left with at the end of each story. A similar series for me is the Little Britches series by Rolf Moody. Just the lessons in those books on life and finding mentors and um, establishing yourself in a community, they're told from the perspective of a boy. And if you read the whole series, it goes through to his life as a man. But there's just so much encouragement that, wow, he in these different circumstances, he had nothing but he did have grit. He did have a work ethic. And so seeing the way that he navigated life was just so encouraging and hopeful. And I think there are so many lessons for us today for encouraging us to navigate life with a similar level of grit and joy and endurance. One of my
0: favorite scenes from the Little House books kind of reminds me of my own book, Holy Hugo, where I write about atmosphere. There's this scene I think it's on the blank banks of Plum Creek where they're living in a dugout, like a hole in the ground. They have grass for a roof, mud for walls. Nothing about this home speaks to really like beauty. It's not a place any of us would sign up to live. And yet Laura writes that she and Mary found just some blue flowers, field flowers and brought them in, set them on the table in a vase and how beautiful it made the home feel and how contented they were by just this small little addition and it always reminds me like I don't have to have the perfect house I don't have to be the best decorator I don't have to be the mom with all the you know jazz hands that really sometimes just like simple beauty simple pleasures can add so much to my home and to my family and and to this space
1: yeah it's so it's so true I I think there's a Quote, it might have even been Dostoevsky who said beauty will save the world, you know, and so there's, there is a knowledge, I think, that sometimes we as moms intrinsically have, but we see it in these books where, you know, Ma, every time she would move into a new cabin, the crowning touch, when she had made it a home, she would have put a tablecloth on the table and put her little China shepherdess on mm-hmm. the shelf. And, and suddenly, this little claim shanty, this little tar paper shack, Became a home. And I think there's so much encouragement for us as moms that these little things that we do to create an atmosphere of peace and joy and beauty mean so much to our children. They do make an impact on the way they see the world and even their hope for the world. Because when we as moms give up and stop cleaning our houses or stop putting food on the table or stop smiling at our children, It it indicates such a lack of hope and purpose to our children. So, the opposite uh, really gives them so much encouragement when we just put in the little effort, put out some flowers, water a plant, whatever it is that day, putting in those small efforts makes such a difference to our children. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, can you tell us just a little bit about your book? You've kind of touched on it a little bit here, but. What do you hope will be the takeaway for moms as they read it and and I've been blessed to read it and it certainly did point my feet in a good direction and my gave me some wonderful suggestions to add to my TBR by the way so thank you for that. But what do you hope is the takeaway as moms pick it up?
1: Well the book is even though it's called mothering by the book and it's about reading out loud what it's really about is overcoming fear. Hmm. And there there are other ways to overcome fear besides reading out loud but Each chapter kind of points moms to one tool or one step in the fight against fear. And I know that fear is really common to us as moms. It's it's normal for us to worry. You know, my daughter was trying to tell me not to worry about her. And I'm like, I'm your mom. I'm gonna worry. It's my it's my deal. (laughs) That's what I do. Uh But the problem is when we worry, when we when we let ourselves give way to worry and fear, when we let ourselves indulge in anxiety, we give our children the idea that they are the problem. We give them, when we walk around this terrible look on our face and all this sadness, we give them the impression that they have done something wrong and they're the cause of our unhappiness. And, and sometimes maybe they have done something wrong. Maybe they are driving us crazy in the moment. But I think there's a real urgency to work towards a happier atmosphere, a more peaceful, trusting atmosphere, because it just communicates so much hope to our children when they see that we are happy in our lives you know it gives them such a sense of stability and calm when they see us enjoying our life and the opposite when we when they see us you know dreading our life walking around afraid and crying and discouraged and and even just that kind of unhappy look that we get when we're all up in our heads worried about our children it gives them this impression that life is terrible that that we don't enjoy what we're doing with them and that's not what my I don't want my kids to remember that about me. And they. And sometimes we can't help it. Sometimes we just can't help it. There's so much going on. But I think the message in this book is that there is some urgency to overcome fear. And here are some things that we can do to help with that. And here are some people in stories who have done it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's the part I love most about your book, Jennifer, is that you point to real characters in literature, in the books that you have read, that have exemplified the courage that really is ours for the taking in Christ. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of that and we need to see it walked out in the lives of others. And so you've given us some real tools, some book suggestions that we can go to in the midst of very particular acute fears. Here are the tools um, to seek out. I love that. Well, where can our listeners best find you if they'd like to know more
1: about you and about your book? Yeah, so on my website, The Peaceful Press. Dot shop. I have literature based resources. So families want to get started with incorporating more literature in their homes. Some of those are good tools. And then at the page motheringbythebook.com, you can order the book mothering by the book. And there are some free gifts such as a book list that you could take to the library and use as a guideline. So mothering by is a great place. And then I'm also on Instagram at the peaceful press and Jennifer Pepito. Wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Jennifer, and and for chatting books with us. It's one of my Mm -hmm. most favorite things to do. So thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. It was such a joy to get to chat with you.
0: Obviously, the best kind of mentor is a real life one. But sometimes that's just not possible. It hasn't always been possible in my own life. When needed, a book can be a great alternative. We'd love to know what books have been meaningful to you as you've been listening to this show. Which ones do you find yourself going back to again and again for wisdom, maybe for spiritual discipleship or just practical advice? Join us over on Instagram or Facebook to continue the discussion and tell us about the books that you're reading.